house of God. It's just amazing walking with God. It never gets old. It gets stale sometimes because we're just not in it enough. We're not around him enough. That's when it gets stale. That's when it gets boring. That's when it gets dry. Just means we need to come back to him. There's nothing boring. There's nothing dry about Jesus. He is the life we need. We've been taking our text this month from Hebrews 4, that the word of God, that is Jesus Christ, he is the word in the flesh, and he is alive. There is nothing dead about knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus. And when we feel dead, that means we need a little more of Jesus back. We need to bring him back to the focus. That means our, we're skewed if we're feeling dead and dry, and the devil will, will batter you, he will try to put you in a position to get you dry, to get you tired, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, because the Bible says that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So the exact thing the devil's trying to do to put you in a position of strife, of fighting, of tiredness, of anger, and all those things of your soul that is right there that can come out, there's a moment right there for you to look to the answer, to look to life, to look to Jesus. He'll sift those things away, and the spirit man is renewed again. That's what we need. His church needs a renewal. I am... Um, I had this whole little polished word for you today, and I'm going to still, we're still going to stay right with what the Lord wanted to say, uh, the context, but he, he woke me up this morning. I was literally, I woke up, I had this, uh, I had some dreams of encouragement. I just uh, felt really uh, like the Lord is, he's with us. That's all I can say. He's with us. He's, he just wanted to tell us that he's with us. And so many times, um, who's seen the movie Defiance? Anybody seen that movie? It's a movie about World War II. I absolutely love it because it's a movie when, you know, meanwhile, while the Jews are being, I mean, taken on train cars. I mean, they couldn't gather them fast enough. Just millions, right? Millions were taken and slaughtered. But this one family, these brothers decided we have a chance here. We can hide. There's, some, there's something we can do. And, you know, they didn't think that they were going to save that many. They just thought, you know, let's just save a few that we can and let's go and hide. And, and um, before you know it, there are um, over a thousand people with them. They found out about these guys and they were able to save these guys right through the war and then ended up coming here to the U.S., Lived as he met his wife in the woods <laughs> of these of these people that were um, just flocked to them. Like once the an when when the answer was there, they found out about it. And um, I just felt like God, you know, they they felt pressured and they felt tried and they felt like every turn, you know, we're not going to make it. There's no food. There's nothing. Uh, they're, they're chasing us. The whole movie, and it's a true story, is, the, is that the Germans obviously were very unhappy that these rogues, that these renegades thought that they could escape their power. And they were a power-hungry military, so they did everything they could. Instead of t saying that the six million we slaughtered was enough, they did everything they could to get the, these guys. But God protected them. And they came out on the other side and actually ended up living. He lived the rest of his life here in the U.S., started a business and stayed married to his wife his whole life, which is commendable, and had a good life. God took care of him. And I just felt this morning in, in my dreams, the Lord was encouraging this church. It can feel like all kinds of things. You can look at the world. You can look at elections and you think this is insanity. This is total craziness. What is going on in this time? But the Lord is with us. It doesn't matter what your surroundings look like, your situation looks like. It doesn't matter. God is with us. And so uh, my dream state ended with waking up. 
And when I woke up, this is, it was amazing. I felt like the Lord was in the room. And this is really amazing. I didn't see him. I'm not going to try to make it more than it was, but I knew his presence was there. Now, he's always with us in spirit, but there's this, there's this extra physical part to him where he actually comes in his bodily form into your place. And, and, and I woke up and I knew the Lord was there and I felt compelled to get up and to seek him, which I did. Now, I've been speaking about Hebrews chapter 4 being the word, being Jesus Christ. He is the answer, but that he was penned down, that everything in the Old Testament was prophesying Jesus. Everything pointed to him. Then the apostles who were with Jesus, they penned down their life with him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And they penned down their life. And then, and then we have after Jesus left the earth, then we have James and Peter, and we have the book of Hebrews, and we have Paul writing about, hey, this is what Jesus did in us and through us after. And this whole thing has been compiled together in what we call the Bible. And I've been talking about the importance of the word, of the Bible. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit. I just got, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts. I'll make some, I'm going to make some sense of this. And this is where I believe the Lord has us because the importance to the word is that everything pointed to Jesus, everything pointed to him. And God, you've heard me say it a couple of times, he judged the people before him, before Jesus came on the earth, he judged the people based upon a prophet coming and telling them something that God said. Now the person chooses to either believe or not believe a person. And yet God judges the person as if he spoke directly to them. It was their spirit or their soul's choice to either believe the word that was being spoken or not to. But God didn't say to them, well, I'm going to give you mercy and grace because, you know, I didn't come down from my throne physically and talk to you. He looked at them and saying, hey, I told you this over and over and over again, and I proved myself through them. I proved myself to these prophets because I, they did, they, what they said, I had enough things come true that you should have been able to respect this person and know that they were telling the truth. Well, all of this points to Jesus. Now, Jesus gets on the earth. He does the same exact thing. He says to the, to the religious, to the church in that day, you're going to kill me, I'm paraphrasing, but you're going to kill me because that's what you've always done. You don't like hearing what God has to tell you. So you're going to kill me just like you've killed all the prophets. But Jesus expected them to listen to them because there's a spiritual thing in you that's either soft and hears or it's hard and doesn't. And God puts an expectation on us. And we can argue with God. We can think that's not fair. Uh, we cannot like God for that. We can do all those things and still be in the same exact place of him being God and us being people. I love today, you've, uh, if you've talked to anybody about the Lord in your life, you've had a few things that they say, questions like, where did God come from, right? That's probably your most common one you're going to get. I love this other one, though, where they say to you, I don't like this about God, or I can't live for a God who's like this or that, as if... You have a choice in deciding who he is. It would be like Elijah, my son, saying, I don't like the fact that you tell me that I have to sleep in your house at night. I want to do what I want. Now, technically, he has that right as a human being. He could leave my safety and security of my home and run away and do his own thing. He has that right in his humanity to do that. But hopefully what we get, and many children do that, maybe, you know, they just, they, they leave. Maybe it's a few years older than him, but they bounce and they go and they live for the world. But hopefully what he hears is through my life, just as we should hear through Jesus, the epitome of love. He is 
Jesus is love, all in him, and yet he has so much controversy. He didn't say one thing that didn't point us back to his grace and his mercy and his love. Not one thing, except that he told you, hey, the things in your life are going to kill you. Well, we don't want to give up those things. So that's where this warring and this striving comes from. And that's kind of where I want to go today. Am Am I making any sense so far? Sorry, I got like a lot of thoughts and uh, that happens sometimes. You spend time with the Lord. Uh, you just have a lot at once. So I'm just trying to iron it out. I have it polished, but I feel like he wants to say some specific things. We've been taking it from Hebrews 4. Let me just open up the word and let's go right into here. Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says that the word of God speaks, the word that God speaks, his spoken word that was penned down, it was written. It's this Bible that we have, that we hold. It's alive and full of power. It's active, operative, energizing, effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life. The sword of God, the word of God, it's sharper. It cuts between the soul and the spirit. The word of God gets between your, your life here. You have this soul that's living and breathing and thinking and doing and feeling and all this stuff in the natural within a body. And then you have a spirit, which is eternal. And the word of God cuts and it gets in between that place and joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. We are living in a time where there is so much deception. You can, it is a time where you can think anything you want. And everybody's got an opinion. And I didn't coin this, an old saying, everybody has an opinion and they all stink. You are literally living in a time where we can think anything we want. You are a body. This is a physical body. This body is is made up. It was not evolved. I did not come from an ape. It was made up of the dust of the earth into what you see and can feel here today. But this body is not me. The Bible calls it a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place. It's a shell. You are when God then, he formed you and you look just like you do now. But then God did something special and he breathed life into you. Now when he did that, you became an immortal spirit within a body that thinks and has feelings. The Bible says you were made in his image and his likeness. That means if you want to, like we wonder, what does God look like? He looks something like a human being at least, something, but also his likeness. Which means I love, Joe and I were talking a couple weeks ago, I love talking about God's amazingness. He is, you know, there's the artist, there's the mathematician, right? There's the scientist. So you got some, you know, some different minds, different thinking, but God is the master of all of those. All of that in you that wants to create, that wants to think, that wants to wonder, wants to ponder, etc., is all in God and now in you when he breathed his life into you. Now you are his image and his likeness. But something happened. He gave us free will. Free will is that I get to choose to want to love him and to follow him and to live for him. And he gave that to Adam and Eve when he formed them. Now we're fully aware of what happened. Their free will made them choose, did, did make, they chose through their free will to be in control. 
that I know better than God. And when they did this, the Bible says that they were cast out of the garden. Their eyes were open to sin. Something began to happen, and it's this place that was once together and in unison. You could literally, I'm just going to touch on this today because you could spend volumes, right, Dan, on this topic of soul and spirit. Volumes. People have hundreds of hours of talking, of text, etc. So I'm just going to scratch the surface. But something happened here when our soul, when our decision-making process, when our feelings, when our natural man decided that that tree looks good and that I don't believe God. Something in your soul tore. There became a rift. Now, we were made in God's image and his likeness. I don't think that God wars with himself. Do you? So that means that if there is a war today, something happened. Something spiritual happened. And we came out of the garden. We live in the world we live in today. Your body will die. That is inevitable. You can die young, you can die old, but it will die. But when it dies, that spirit man lives forever because it was, it's God's. It's just like his, which is eternal. So how do we live in this earth with millions and millions every single day of decisions. You are making micro calculations all day. Whether you know it or not, you are deciding what you think about a person. Instantaneously, we, we all do it. We take their cover and we break it down, right? And we're making all these observations and decisions in our minds. Your mind is deciding that, well, I don't believe that person because they just said such and such. And we're taking that, we, we're making that analysis in us because somebody else said something similar to that. And now there's a decision. There's like a, a mind that it thinks a certain way. It thinks about that line that that person said based on all kinds of stuff that's going on in your mind. I'm not going to get scientific. I have no idea what that is in there. But we all do that. We are all a soul. And the world would call it a wandering soul, a lost soul, right? We are all a soul that is thinking and, and making observations and has feelings towards God, feelings towards the world, each other, etc. But this thing, the soul and the spirit, and the heart somewhere within that soul and spirit is so intertwined how can you possibly, how can you possibly separate? How can you know what is God's spirit, what is right in his eyes, what are his ways, and what are yours, or your ways that you think are good, but you have created that way of thinking based on observation? How do you know? How do you truly know what is right and wrong? And does it even matter, right and wrong? Who decides? I love that the atheist doesn't believe in God, but they have a moral compass. Where'd that come from? I often think I'll talk to somebody who is fighting with me about God, because sometimes, you know, you're sharing the gospel, and then it can become a fight. I don't fight, but I'll let them, you know, start throwing their daggers. And I'll say something really sharp. If you know me for a little while, I'm edgy. So I'll say something like, would you mind if I broke in your house and raped your wife? Oof. That creates a really sharp. I like creating that, that something, because something starts bubbling. Something, well, what is that in you? Why? Why does that not feel and sound right in you? 
Why? Because when God created us, we were created a spirit with the ability to think and, and make observations and decisions, but then without the protection of God, when we broke out from his protection, when we left him, we left God and we decided we're going to do our own thing, this soul man started ruling in us. And the person that doesn't know Jesus Christ, it's not walking with him. The soul is still ruling. And that soul is making all kinds of decisions and observations. But at the same time, as dark and as far as they are away, there's still this war inside them. It doesn't feel right when I say something really sharp like that because even though they're letting the soul rule, over their life, even though the soul is in control, their spirit is trying to get them to believe. Your spirit, man, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, it actually says that you can't even come to Christ unless you're drawn. He's not drawing particular people. Come on, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. God knows who's going to be saved and preordained, destination, all kinds, and I messed it up on purpose. Give me a break. He's drawing everybody. He's drawing whoever will listen. Your spirit is constantly tugging at you. I'm telling you the most accurate picture that was ever made is that old cartoon with the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. Your soul and your spirit is constantly warring. Now, when we come to Christ, what happens? We've, we've all done it. We, it's surrender, right? What is a surrender? What is our hands up? What is our heart? We've decided the soul uh, in us that's in control, my decision-making process, my observations, I'm willing to lay that all down. I'm going to decide that it's not based on the way I see and what I think and the way I feel about God or about what I look in science and people and humanity. Lots of people don't know Jesus and don't want to know Jesus based on Christians. I don't think that that's right, that we give that perception. But at the same time, let me tell you a little, a little secret that even though that's not great for us to be bragging about, that we're turning away unbelievers. But I'll tell you what, that unbeliever, when he stands at the throne and tries to give God that excuse... God's going to say, so because of the way they acted, you didn't think your soul was important. He's going to look at your soul specifically, whoever's listening to that out there on the web. There is a war, literal war going on within you from the moment you're born. And your soul is trying to rule you. It's trying to control you. Then we come to Christ Jesus does something special in us. We surrender. I, it's one of my uh, favorite things to talk about with a new believer or a believer who's still struggling a little bit is this idea that if the guy on the cross, remember there's the sinner on the cross and then there's the other sinner just as much, isn't he? And then one guy says to Jesus, man, if you're Jesus, take yourself down, starts mocking him. The other guy says, don't you know who this is? Something happened in him in that moment, a, a, a spiritual thing, even though he was just as much a soul as everyone else there, standing there and mocking him on the cross. He was just as much a soul as this other soul mocking him right next to him. He laid his feelings of it's not fair, I only murdered or stole because I had to, or whatever excuses he could have gone through, he laid it all down, he saw past himself, saw past his soul, and the spiritual thing happened where he saw Jesus. And at that very moment, Jesus says, we'll be in paradise together today. Well, the question that I've often wondered is, what would happen if Jesus said, in fact, I'm going to do something even greater for you. Pulls the nails out of his hands, heals his wounds, and sets him on the ground to live. 
then what? What do you say, I'll see you in about 40 years? Or what the thing that happened in him, it's a spiritual thing, it wasn't a physical thing, it wasn't a natural thing. Did that spiritual thing that happened inside of him now have to come and start working out of him? Or could he just go back to murdering and living like the world? I think the answer is obvious. And so uh, the Lord gave me some scripture this morning that the soul church, there's a, you can be a soul person and then there's a soul church too. There's a soul way of living and a spirit way of living. The soul says that I'm going to do what I think is best. Even good things. There's lots of good people based on our perceptions. Jesus said it right. There's no one good. But based on our perceptions, based on our culture, we say that's a good person. They do good things. But really, they're doing things out of themselves. This soul place. But God said that my sons and my daughters are led by my spirit, not by your soul, not by what you think is right, what you think is good. And there, there, that today, the pull for us to believe that we know best, that we know how to touch this culture best, God, what we're going to do, God, is we're going to leave some of the scriptures out because we've decided, God, they're, they're, you remember they're sitting with God in the boardroom. Remember that? Remember that? Right now? Remember that, you know, that big giant church who doesn't want to preach the Bible? They're sitting there and they said, God, what we've decided is that there's just some things in here that are offensive. And to be honest, I think that we could reach more people if we just don't mention them. So we decide to preach a different gospel. I believe the Lord just warned today the importance of knowing the word that is alive and active and operative and energizing and effective and sharp. It gets down deep in a place that you can't divide. You can't, there's no way in yourself that you can decide and divide and what is your thinking and what is God's without a compass, a GPS, the Word of God. And when we start pushing out things we don't like, and we start creating something that is, is more comfortable and more appealing, we have not altered, we have thrown away. It's either the whole truth, nothing but the truth, or it's a lie. And I want to read to you, it's in the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, and we can read that in the NLT, Mariah. It says, by His divine power, God has given us everything we need. How much has God given us to live for Him? Everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. It's about knowing Him and Him alone. It's not about knowing a book. I've already said it now through these weeks that there are intellectuals who know the Bible better than me, better than you. But it's knowing him of those, of those pages. When you come to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence, because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are promises that, what's this word here? Enable you. Something happens within you that enables you to share his divine nature and escape 
the world's corruption caused by human desires. Something supernatural happens in you when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And when that moment happens, it's like getting married. I've used this analogy. I'm going to use it again. And then telling your bride or your husband, I'll see you in death. That would be very odd way of living in a marriage, in a new relationship. The opposite is that everything, every part of you takes time, doesn't it, husbands and wives? But every part of you ends up becoming one with the other person. You're learning new things every day, but over time, you know each other because you're active about it. And when you're not, what happens? We know where that road goes. But God gave us the power. He gave us the ability. He enabled us to have his nature, to live by the spirit instead of by the soul. It's only by his word. It's only by being in his word can you strategically and even surgically because it's so intertwined in you, your feelings of who you think God is and who he really is. We have denominations for a reason. We have false religions for a reason because our soul says, well, this is what I feel. This is what I think. This doesn't make sense. So I'm just going to make it make sense to how this culture is, how this time is. We can't do that. We need an encounter with him. We need his divine nature to help us escape the world's corruption. But if we keep that, if we are away from him, your soul and your spirit, which is so entwined, will be tainted and twisted. And that is why you can talk to somebody who's ever done this. You have a conversation with a believer and you walk away scratching your head. Now, we're not pointing fingers at anybody or any names, right? Name anybody. But you say, you're a believer. That's what you're thinking. And you, how's that possible? Because their soul is still ruling. There's something that they haven't let God start doing a division inside them, doing a cutting work inside of them. And they have got so much of them intertwined with him. But God, in verse 5, he can, he's enabled us. He gave us a way. Verse 5, it says, In view of all this, make every effort. Make some effort. No, make every effort to respond to God's promises. How do you know God's promises? By reading them. Where do you read them? In his word. His word is the key. His word is the key. When you make every effort to respond, the intellectual is not responding to it. He's just reading it. But as I said last week, I'm not just reading the label of the energy bar. I'm opening the thing. I believe it and I'm consuming it. It's getting in me. My belief has connected with the truth. And now the effort and my part has come and something starts happening. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Remember, these things aren't important. Just, just know Jesus. You don't, you, know, you don't have to worry about these things. They're just written because Peter had, you know, his hand, you know, he was just like going. And he's like, I might as well just write these things. You know, just let Jesus do it. You don't have to try. Don't do anything. Just, just focus on loving Jesus. But don't try to be a believer. Don't try to be a Christian. Don't do anything. You just let Jesus do it. But Peter felt compelled to write that we should make every effort to respond to God's promises, telling us to make every effort of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Self-control? You do something? I thought Jesus does it all. Yeah, Jesus gives you the enabling ability. He gave you every promise. He gave you the ability. The word provides a tool that will separate you from the Spirit of God. And only in Christ can you do this. You cannot. You will end up a weird believer if you try to do this without the word. 
you try to make decisions and self-control, you'll find that one Christian has self-control in another area, but has no conviction on the area you feel that you are controlling yourself in. It's because our soul still wants to rule in that area. And the more we put the word in there, the more we start letting him cut and divide that thing, the more uncomfortable that soul becomes. And then you realize that it actually, it is Jesus doing it, but it's you allowing him. He didn't force you to say yes to Jesus. As far as I remember, Jesus didn't make anybody ever say, you have to follow me. You have to believe in me. You don't have to do anything. But if you want to, I'll be there with you. If you want to submit, if you open my word and start ingesting it and believing it and are diligent about it, then I will, you see this this connection that starts happening, then he can do something and then you let him in more. Self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with Godliness. Wait, we do godliness? How do we do that? Because we've got the knowledge of what is godly, not from our soul, but from the Spirit. The Word is the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. The Word is the sword of the Spirit. You will find the truth when the Spirit is cutting in you. You will find the truth when you let the Spirit of God, that's what Jesus said that He would do, let me go because the Spirit will come and He will remind you of the things I said. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to start to write on your heart as he said he would do what is right and wrong. You cannot make that decision on your own. We cannot just start deciding what we think is right and wrong. And that is where we're at as a church in the world today. We are rewriting the Bible. We are rewriting the church to accommodate cultures. And we cannot do this. We need the Word of God to rule. Period. Verse 7, and godliness with brotherly affection, so we do need to love each other, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, I love this verse. Sorry, guys, I like the ones that do cut because as I just, this whole sermon's pointing to, I don't want my soul. I want him to cut me because I don't want me. I want him in me. It says in verse nine that those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind. And I love that it says this, forgetting. Let's go back to the man on the cross. Jesus has an encounter with him. It's a spiritual encounter. But if he came down on that cross, it would have to be that as much as that spark was real, as much as he would be in eternity with Jesus in that second, that's true. But as his life, if it came back down to the ground where we are at right now, you are in the flesh, you're living in a body, then you cannot forget what he did for you on the cross. It would be a constant every day, every moment, walking with him to keep ourselves from our old sins because when we forget that we were cleansed what it says what happens is that when we forget these things verse 10 we fall away but when we don't forget how do you not forget how do we keep ourselves from forgetting we stay really really close to it We don't let it out of our sight. We don't start wandering from the word, assuming that we know now. We got this, God. God, I got this. I got to figure it out. No, we stay really close so that we don't forget, and then we work hard to prove that you really are. This is the Bible? 
prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. So there's something we have to do. I thought this, pastor, I thought this is works. Sounds like you're wandering into works. Sounds like you're sin conscious and not savior conscious. That's what they say today. That's their line. You're too sin conscious and not enough savior conscious. I am fully aware of what Jesus has done in me. I am fully aware of his grace and his mercy working in me. So much so, I love him so much that it makes me want to change. Can you believe that? It makes me not want to forget what he's done, and it causes something in me to work at proving, not to anybody, and not even really to God. God doesn't need it, but just to proving, you know what, I, I'm the, you know who I'm the best uh, adversary to? Myself. I'm actually secretly very competitive with myself, not with anybody, but I want to do well when I do something, but I don't really care. I don't need your pat on my back, but I'll, I want to know secretly that I've done my best at what I'm doing. You, there's something in you that just wants to do it because it's in you. You want to prove, hey, this is who I am. You don't need someone else's approval, but there's something in you that works to prove you are really among those God has called and chosen. And if you do these things, Peter tells us, hey, I would pay attention to this list he gave us because it said, if you do these things, you will never fall away. Which means what? The ability to fall away is there. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to the world or the church in these verses? Sounds to me like he's talking to the church, because if he's talking to the world, he wouldn't be talking to them about their sin yet. He'd be talking to them about Jesus Christ. That is the beginning, the spark, the center to our faith. But once he gets a hold of you, starts doing a work in you, and the sin does start coming off. So he's obviously talking to the church, telling us that if we forget, and we can, that we could fall away. But we let the word stay there because the devil today, he is after your soul, just in case you didn't realize. Anybody unaware of that here? Tony? <laughs> he is after your soul, and he will try and try and try. But when we stay close to God and God shows us a clear line, man, I, I was praying to the Lord. I said, Lord, your word says, that you'll show us things. He said, call to me and I'll answer you and show you things you don't know. And I had this dream. The Lord revealed to me in a dream about two weeks ago of this thing that was about to happen in my life. Revealed it to me. I mean, clear as day. And I woke up and in my dream state, my eyes still closed. Actually, I was awake in my bed and I said, Lord, thank you for answering that prayer that you showed me. And I had a strategy and a plan to get through this situation. That happens from walking with him. That comes from being a spirit man and not a soul man. And, and, and what he does is he keeps us from falling away. And before we go, I want to close with this. If you, in same thing in 2 Peter, in chapter 2, Peter goes on for a little bit, and then he goes into chapter 2, verse 1. He warns us. He says, he says, just as much as I'm telling you the truth, just I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something, he says. The devil's after your soul, and he will try. He'll try to keep those things intertwined. I was going somewhere with that. The Lord divided. That was my point to that. In that dream, the Lord divided and showed me the flesh and the soul and the spirit. He showed me the strategies that the enemy would use. And the enemy can't touch your spirit man. He can only mess with your intellect, your thinking, your feelings, your mind, your will, your emotion. He can't touch your spirit man unless you give it to him. So I saw the soul, I saw his strategy, I saw it. And now my spirit man over here saw the whoosh. I saw that dividing line and said, okay, now I know my strategy. And because of that, he's, Peter goes on and he says, listen, there were also false prophets in Israel. Why is he telling us this? Because there's going to just be aware. There's more than one message out there. You got to stay close to the real deal. You can't just start thinking because someone can start telling you. I mean, there are how many times, especially now because I'm a preacher, not that I wasn't talking to people before, but like me being a preacher comes up in conversation more. So then they feel compelled to tell me about their faith. 
And when they do, so many times like, oh, I was watching this psychic on TV. She's so good. I'm like lost for words at first because, you know, I, you got to find this, this. I mean, I got to find how do I sift through this very thing of soul? I mean, you are it's intertwined, but that's what we do. Unless we go to the word and we read the scripture that says, don't go to mediums. Hello, he wrote it straight up. If we just read it or someone was preaching it, but they've got it so intertwined, their soul and their spirit. And the Lord is warning us that there's a soul church and it's growing. There's a soul church that's growing. It's all about the soul. It's all about my feelings. And they can still raise their hands and still say the name of Jesus, but it's all about the soul. Tell me this. Tell me I'm wrong. I remember talking to someone once and they said, man, I used to listen to Rolling Stones. I used to go up in my attic and I'd put on the album, turn all the lights off, and I would just lay there and cry. Something was happening in their emotions and in their feelings. Now, maybe that's not your experience, but you've all done it. You've watched a movie that has nothing to do with God. You know, you've you heard something touching, something touching about animals on Facebook, and you've cried. Okay, everybody's done that. I'm not saying there's no, God's in everything, so it's hard to take him out of any, you know, everything. But the point is, something emotionally can happen in you and not be God. So it's not a feeling. But our, this, the soul church will it'll try to get you all in the feelings and in the thinking and in the logic and, into, and that in your perceptions and you're looking and saying, that's why churches are becoming Starbucks. Because they're saying, hey, this is what the people like. Who cares what the people like? God's after your soul. You want to go to Starbucks after church? That's fine. But when you get here at 10 a.m., it's church time. Can we do that? Sorry, guys. I'm not yelling at you. I'm just, I'm talking. But he's warning us that there, was, there will be false prophets as well, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach you destructive heresies and even deny the master. That's what's happening they're not saying Jesus in church much anymore because his name's offensive. So what we figure is let's just let them sit there for a while, let them get comfortable maybe five, ten years down the road privately at a Bible study in someone's house. Then we'll talk about Jesus. They'll even deny the master who brought them, who bought them. He's the point. That's the, what he's saying is that you, you watch, you'll see a church that won't even be about Jesus anymore. He says, in this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. And it says in verse two, many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. What happens is from that lifestyle, you take Jesus out, you take the word away. You take the word away, you get immorality. It's very simple. And that's why it's not a works thing. It's that if you know Jesus, if you know his word, you don't want to sin. It's that simple. Something in you says, this is not right. I mean, we all do it. And then hopefully the Spirit of God is so strong and you've got enough of him in you that you repent before, I mean, you're quick. Because that thing's not, something is, starts shaking in you and fighting in you. And he says, and because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. He warned us all the way back then that there would be false preachers, there'd be a false message, there would be a soul message. And what did they do? They came away from the word. It's clear. When you wander from the word, you're going to get a soul message in a soul church, and it will cause immorality. And that's what we're seeing in the church in the world today is rampant immorality with no conviction. And to close this last verse here, he says in verse 12, these false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct. Ooh, we've been talking about that. They're going from the soul realm. Like an animal doesn't have the spirit that says, I want to serve for God. They do what fits their needs in that moment. They live by their instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand. See, the one that wants to change the church today to try to fit our culture is because they just don't understand 
So then they make a change, but the reality is, is that's not our place to understand. It's our place to obey. And like animals, they will be destroyed. Actually, there was one last verse. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry, but I have to read it. It says, he finishes in verse 20, he says, he actually says that if people were to, when you come to Christ and Jesus does something in you, if you don't let the word keep happening in you, you don't still stay proactive about your faith. Hey, one saved, always saved. I'm speaking to the, to the World Wide Web now. Why don't you argue with this scripture right here? When people escape from the wickedness of the world, knowing our Lord, they came to a knowing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then it is possible to get back into your soul. It's possible to let the soul have control again. I don't care what anybody says, argue with this scripture. The soul can get you messed up again. They get tangled up again, enslaved by sin again. They are worse off than before. The reality is, is I'm telling you, I woke up and the Lord just led me right to Peter, 2 Peter. I didn't plan on saying anything from 2 Peter today, but I had to be obedient to that. I preached it with fury. That's in me. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that if we will look at it, if we will listen to it, if we will eat it, if we will let the life-giving, energizing effectiveness of your word get inside of us like a double-edged sword, it will divide our soul and our spirit, getting to our heart and revealing who we truly are and our need for you, Jesus. I pray right now, revelation, Lord, just like Peter had when he looked at Jesus and said, you are the Christ. And even though there was junk and stuff in him, I thank you, Lord, that you were faithful to him, you protected him, and then he lived his life for you and wrote this book for us because he believed it and saw what you did in him. I pray, Lord, that our lives would be books written, that they would write, we would feel compelled at the end of our life to write a book like this because we saw Jesus in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.